We're continuing in our series uh, from James, which if you've got a church Bible, you'll find in uh, starting page 1213. And I'm reading from chapter 1 and starting at verse 18. James chapter 1, starting at verse 18. This is the word of God. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak and slow to become angry for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that god desires therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it. He will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is the word of God. May his spirit speak to your heart. Amen. So very, hello, we are here. Hello, very good morning. My name is David, I'm the minister of the church, and welcome to what is our second week in through the book of the letter of James. We're going to do it in nine weeks. We've got baptisms in between then and and maybe even a family service, I can't really remember, but we're going to uh, do the the letter of James in nine weeks. We have got baptism classes this week. It was meant to be on Thursday, uh, sorry, Monday, but because of other things in the calendar of the church, it's actually going to be on Thursday. Um, there are some people going to be joining me on that. If you would like to come and just explore baptism in Scripture, then that is the time. doesn't mean, you know, you're signing in the dotted line, you're going to be baptizing Loch Faskelly on Sunday the 25th of August, I think it is. It just means you're coming for a Bible study. and you're, um, So that is going to be, oh, it's a hearing aid, I think. Oh, is it an alarm outside? Ah, okay. I can put that. It's fine. So, um, It's fun. 
So we are going to have baptism classes next Thursday and the Thursday after. There's also a membership conversation that's going to be in about three weeks' time. They'll be up on the screen at the beginning of the service, info on that, and at the end of the service as well. So Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, my Redeemer, my Rock. In the name of Christ, Amen. So is that the first slide up there, Rona? Great, thank you. So, verse 18, Ian read, uh, He chose to give, to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all creation. Contextually, the immediate consequences of verse 18 is seen in verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, those of us who would consider Jesus Christ as a Lord and Savior, take note of this take note. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And really, that is not rocket science, because James goes on to then say in verse 20, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And that's just one example that James could have given, human anger. We could go to Paul's list and say Colossians 3, and I'm pretty sure that we'll find ourselves in that list. And there's many more that can be added. But he says, human anger does not produce the kind of righteousness that God uh, desires. Therefore, verse 21, working through this very quickly this morning. Verse 21, James says, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that so, is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. <laughs> I wonder what you heard there as I read through those things. Was it any of these? Because you can look at James and see those things and get stuck and do a whole sermon series on all of those things. But what I heard, and I'm sure what many of us heard also, and what we're going to look at this morning, is this, is this, the Word. The Word of truth, um, the Word planted in you, verse 18 says, He chose to give us birth, through the word of truth. And then verse 21, he says, the word planted in you which can save you. Now, the Bible is the most influential book of all time. There's no shortage of ink or blood that has been spilt as people have been spilling over, yeah, literally, looking over the writings and interpreting and trying to put that interpretation into practice. Writings of history, writings of poetry and prose and prophecy, narration, all sorts of things uh, are written in the Bible. And in this passage, there's all sorts of topics that are swirling around what it means to be quick to listen, what it means to be righteous, what it means that God chose us and moral filth and even the Word. And it's that which I want to focus in on. 
So if it was spokes and a wheel and all of those topics are just spinning round and round and round and round. Remember, well, I didn't have them, but people who had more money than me did have them when I was a kid. Spokes of a, a, a wheel and a bike and little things that would go up and down in the spokes. They surely have got a name. And uh, they would cycle them in the ground and round and round and round. We don't want to be in that place today where we're going round and round and try to work out this uh, passage from James. So we're going to focus in on the hub of the wheel. For all of this, the hub of what James is speaking about this morning is the Scriptures, the Bible, the Word of Truth that has been planted in you and that can save you. And we're going to do it in three or four different ways. And I'm going to give you those there. We're going to look at what it means to humbly accept the Word. James encourages us to do that. James, the half-brother of Jesus, who was the leader of the Jerusalem church, who writes a very practical book, who uh, was martyred for his faith, and, and, but was leading the church in Jerusalem when there was great poverty and there was great um, miracles and signs and wonders, but everyday living as well. And he is saying to the people there in his church, we need to humbly accept the word of truth that God has spoken to us. And then he goes on, as we know, James is a very practical book, maybe the Proverbs of the New Testament. He goes on to say, don't just listen to it, but actually do it. Be obedient. And then he gives just some examples, three examples of what it means uh, to do what the command of, of God is in his word and how that transforms us. So that is exactly what we're going to look at this morning. And first of all, I want to just touch a base on what it means to humbly accept it. And there's a few wee headings as I go on. Verse 21. Therefore, rid yourself of all moral filth and the evil that so, is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. There's a reason why, I think anyway, there is a reason why James says humbly receive God's Word. Humbly receive. Because when we do that, we're stripped bare. Think of repentance. When you repented your sins, the brokenness of your life before the one and true holy living God, you were exposed naked to Him. And you are leaving nothing that you can claim that was good in yourself. We stand before a living God naked with all our secrets revealed in repentance. All our hidden motives, our scheming, our lobbying, all of that uncovered before His, his eyes. And every casual thought and every foolish word brought before the Lord, not so that He can be brutal towards us as maybe we deserve, but so that we might be forgiven, healed, and made whole. See, I don't believe a proud man eh, can repent because a proud man won't repent. His pride uh, gets him in a place where he can't admit anything 
but yet when he or she is stripped bare, then he or she and we are able to be in the ideal position to receive God's word because there we have a truly teachable spirit. I come across so many people in football. Rev, I've read the Bible. It's a lot of rubbish. What have you read? Oh, I remember at school they used to read it to us, and I've read it from cover to cover. It's a lot of rubbish. But then when you unpack it, no, they've never read the Bible, but yes, they've got problems with certain aspects of the Bible. Some of the, the blood text, the terror texts of the Old Testament. And yet, the, the they, they don't have much problem with the blood text, the terror text of the crucifixion. They believe Jesus was nailed to a cross, but the stuff behind it they've just got a problem with. And it's only when by the Spirit I believe, because it's not a work of man, when they are stripped bare, or maybe at their weakest, weakest, there are many people who at their strongest intellectually look at God's word and at that point they're stripped bare naked and they come in repentance. So whether it's in strength or whether it's in weakness, they come and they acknowledge I have been proud. I've tried to put God in a box. I've tried to be like the Stepford wives, you know that, where the guys in a small town create their wives as robots so that they control their wives and their wives will do everything that they want them to do. They create a Stepford wife God. And so they pick and choose. And I think we're going to briefly look at this morning and say, we can't do that. We can be uneasy and unsettled and find it difficult and not know and be thick as two short planks when it comes to what God has said in His Word from beginning to end. And that is okay. But we are in no position as followers of Jesus Christ to pick and choose, difficult that that may be. We need a teachable spirit. We're to receive God's word the way that we, we receive an old friend who has made a long journey to come back and to see us. That means that when we hear the word, no matter what the word says, we welcome it with open arms and we say, speak to me, O Lord, I am ready to hear your voice. Memory serves me right, that was a young Samuel who possibly said that. James is saying, I believe, the Word of God is objectively true. It is not a collection of wise saying or treasured sayings of old holy people. It is the Word of truth. So people of God, humbly accept it, cherish it, welcome it like an old friend, and actually come naked before it. Some people say that the Bible is inspired. But what do they mean by that? Do they simply mean the Bible is inspiring? The Bible, the Bible may inspire and it might be inspiring, but the concept of inspiration to be inspired has to do with the relationship between God and the human authors of the Bible. It is inspired that's what it means when we look at the relationship between God and the human authors. The Bible's human authors weren't inspired in the typical way that we think of the word to be inspired. James one day didn't see a wonderful sunset and, and got all this giddy feeling 
and then rush and write something inspiring. Neither was he in some catatonic state where, uh, and then he says, give me a parchment, give me a parchment, and he writes like that. And then he says, okay, let's see what God has said to us. That's not what it means to be inspired either. First and foremost, inspired has to do with the fact that the Bible's ultimate author is God. I'm going to read to you um, from Timothy. I'm going to read words which you are familiar with, and it is this, from 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Notice it says that the entire Bible is God-breathed. It's exhaled from God's mouth. In other words, this is the Word of God. Ian says something to that effect after he read the Scriptures, recognizing that this wasn't a book reading that we had come to here at 11 o'clock at Lockery Baptist Church. <coughs> but if God is the author, what were David and Moses, uh, what were James and Paul, etc., what were they all doing? Were they writing Scripture too? Yes, the Bible was written by God and by humans, or more precisely, the Bible was written by God through humans. I want to read to you from 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, uh, 20 and 21, what it says up there. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origins in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God made sure that these men of God wrote exactly what was God breathed, God exhaled. Nothing more or nothing less. However, these men of God weren't robots. God doesn't erase their personalities. In fact, God used their education, their experiences, their environment. What was going on around when they were alive? And he used all of that to enable them and to inspire them when they wrote with great trembling and fear. So God has spoken this is revelation. We do not need to guess. God has spoken in human history, in human language, through human beings. And that's what inspiration is all about. Who wrote the Bible? God, man? Yes. Inspired. But some people, and you'll come across this, they would say that the Bible is the truth I said earlier on, object, um, objective truth. Can it be completely true in a day and age when that is, is not popular in our culture? God's Word is true simply because God's character is true. God is not a liar. God cannot speak falsehood. He does never change. 
And so by doubting the truthfulness of God's word, we're in danger at that point of doubting the truthfulness of God. True, some people think that some parts of the Bible are true and others are not true. But Holy Scripture doesn't make any restriction on the kinds of subjects to which it itself speaks truthfully. And if you think of that, if the Bible isn't fully reliable at every point, how could the Bible be fully reliable at any point? If the Bible at every moment is not the Word of God exhaled from His mouth today as it was yesterday and will forever be, we're in danger of saying that God does not speak truth because we often come across the favorite, uh, the, the line, you know, that was okay for back then, but we live in more enlightened times. The Bible does not speak in such a way at all. What does the Bible say about itself? Lots of things there, and I'm going to fire these through the emails so that if you're going to look at this during the week, then you can do that with great more detail than I can just now. But the Bible speaks of itself as being truthful, eternal, unbreakable, perfect, reliable. And Jesus said in John 17, in that dialogue, in the end of John, he says to the Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Save them by your truth. Transform them by your truth. Make them more like me by your truth. And your truth is your word because all Scripture is God-breathed. Jesus is your Lord and Savior. As your Lord, you need to take your Lord at His, His word. And His word is your word, Father, is truth. And James says, all of this is great. You can have all great belief and, and you can be orthodox and have all your T's crossed and all your, da- your I's dotted, but you must be doers of the word. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Who says Christianity was easy? Do what Jesus says. You will do greater things, Jesus says. To Peter, when Jesus was walking in the water, Jesus says, come. And Jesus sends them out in authority of his name to raise the dead, heal, cast out evil spirits, etc. And he says, you will do greater things because I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm, it's better for me to go to the Father and I'll send you the Spirit, the paraclete, the enabler, the helper, the one who will lead you in all truth. The Bible is, by God's Spirit, is inspired The Bible, by God's Spirit, is an an enabler and changes us. As he says, um, right at the beginning again, he says, he chose to give you birth by the Word, and that was a thing of the Spirit. And it is the Word of truth, the Word planted in you, which can save you. And that's where the Spirit brings us all alive. 
Immediately after James says, be doers of the word, he says this in verse 25. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he's heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. At this point, James connects the word, the Bible, with freedom. He says we're to look intently into it. That means to lean into, to focus, to desire to go deeper. What is the best Bible study tool for you or for you or for me? It's the best daily Bible study tool that works best for you and for you and for me. Because these resources are there to help us, to encourage us, to prompt us with text. It's time for you to read God's Word or whatever it may be so that you can lean into intently, dwell on, learn, listen, so that you're saved, so that you're transformed. Now, we are justified by what Jesus has done, but we're being saved, sanctified, changed, transformed by what God is doing by His Spirit. And how does God... Um, first and foremost speak to us by his word. You receive a word of knowledge, you've got to test it. How do you test it? By the word. You want to encourage someone and you feel uh, you want to really bless someone, I would encourage you, get the word out. Pray, Lord, may there be something that I could share in writing this card. You don't go to Clinton's favorite sayings to put in cards and get some nice wee twee thing and write it down. Now, you may, but it's not going to be half as powerful as the word presented to someone. And hopefully if they lean into it by the Spirit, God will do what he has begun to do in you and them. If we do that, intently look into it, James says we will be blessed Ah, here we go. I mentioned the word freedom, and I've got this question. How is God's Word connected with freedom? Two ways I'm going to briefly, as we come to the end, two ways. First of all, and you will know this, but it is no bad thing to be reminded. We are made in the image of God. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. God says after creation, it is very good. But we know ourselves, our own lives, but we can read in Scripture how Adam and Eve, by temptation, but an act of their will, chose to put themselves in the center of their universe as a substitute for God. And that's called the fall, the apple. They recognized that they were naked. And God eh, barred them from the garden, but yet cared for them in many different ways. And that is our story. A story of brokenness, a story of being lost because of the fall. We are out of fellowship with the Father. But God doesn't leave us like that, no matter where we come from or what age. Because, as was it Romans 8 um, we read these words, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us because the truth is everyone needs a savior. 
And those of us who are Christians who would say we're disciples of Jesus Christ, we followed Peter's clarion call in Acts chapter 2. He said this at Pentecost, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I once was lost, but now I'm found. We are free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last because of what Jesus has done. That's the first thing about freedom that I want to say. If you consider, if you recall, if you live your life that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you're free. You are not a part of the kingdom of darkness. You are part of the kingdom of light. And in that, there is freedom. But the second thing is this. James speaks of the perfect law. And usually, law means restrictions. Do that and, and don't do this. In our society, Freedom means doing whatever you want. Freedom to choose. And there are some horrendous stories of how our culture is saying to very young children that they are free to choose whether they're a boy or whether they're a girl. And yet they're not even free to go and buy a packet of cigarettes or whatever, you know. They're not free to say I'm not going to school without a parent's letter, etc., etc., our culture values freedom above all else. But anarchy is not freedom at all. We need laws. We need laws to be free, to fully live, to thrive. We need rules. Imagine what the roads would be like without rules. Imagine what Football would be like without rules or referees. Imagine what marriage would be like without boundaries. Heartache, calamity, trauma. No laws don't give us freedom. Perfect law does. Perfect law shows us how to fully live. Some laws... In the word, we struggle with. But James tells us to look intently into it. Unless we're regularly uh, contradicted by the word of God, we are not engaging with it. Unless we are regularly contradicted by God's word, we are not intently looking into it. We need to engage with it. God's word is like a sword and a sword cuts and like, like a razor and it, it produces blood. When we see freedom in these two ways, that we are free in Christ Jesus and that God's ways produce freedom, then naturally, not grudgingly, but naturally we become doers of what God wants to do. We're saved. We're happy. Miranda said it. We are loved because we're loved. When she was praying at one point, that is who we are. Don't have to prove anything to God. And so now just live in His Spirit and that will bring blessing and will bring glory and honor to His name. 
What areas of your life is God calling you to be a doer of the Word? Could it be an area that you struggle with? An area of the Bible, a topic in the Bible that you would like to erase? Look intently into it because I believe in there, there is freedom. Even if at the end of it, you still don't understand and you say, I don't understand, Lord, but I surrender all because you are God. I will not put you in a box. And just finally and extremely briefly, James gives three, three examples. The first one, keep a tight rein in your tongue. We're going to come to that in a restudy. The second one, look after orphans and, and widows. And we read in verse 28, James is reiterating Isaiah 1:17. Learn to do what is right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the, the fatherless and plead the case of the widow. Seek justice, defend, take up the cause, plead. It's words of, of social justice, and we are called to that. Why should we run soup lunches and toddlers groups? Why should we run youth work and, and friendship-based ministries and send cards? It's simply because we're compelled to. We want to encourage. We want to see our community blessed. We believe we get something to contribute to our community, not just by running programs, but actually much better not to be in here involved in the programs, but actually be out there and be involved in the things of the community and bless the community with your presence. Why are you doing that? Because you're compelled to go there and be salt and light. Continue to do that. Be a doer out there what God has called you to do. If God has called you to be in here nurturing our children and young people, showing the way of the Lord, be involved in that is just as valuable. But we are involved in all these things because we desire to bring Jesus to the heart of our communities and to see his kingdom there. Whether it's in Stirling, whether it's in Texas, wherever it may be, to bring Jesus to the heart of our communities, wherever that may be, and to see his kingdom increasingly manifest there. That is what it means to be a doer. And he said, and, and there's all sorts of other things I could say, but he says in verse 28 as well, keep oneself from being polluted by the world. He speaks of personal holiness, of personal purity. Sometimes churches go for social justice at the expense of, of personal purity, picking and choosing what they want with scripture. Let's get involved and do things and, and be loved and be part of our community. But, but they're, they're just not sure about that. And some churches just elevate that to, the actual book to something to be worshipped where it should not be and, and they're just not involved. They don't want to be involved in the world because when they get involved in the world, they, can, they get polluted. So they get into a wee, a wee ghetto. The early church worked this out. They were in the community. They were daily um, committing themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread and all. And that's where you get um, schools and that's where you get universities and that's where you get hospitals and that's where you get orphanages because it was the church compelled to live as God's people out there being it and doing it and, and having the badge and seeing transformation in the world. They were free people living freely by God's laws and bringing freedom by the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're called to today. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. People of the kingdom of God are called to these things. It is not a choice. We cannot pick and choose in those matters. Who is your neighbor? 
I believe first and foremost, my neighbor is my family. I have always, I'm nowhere near perfect. There's no point in me being involved in building kingdom things in Pitlochry at the expense of my family. My family will always be with me. So love your family. Honor your family. Gents, guard your time and be with your children during mealtimes. Take them to the clubs and all of that sort of stuff. Be there to support. As, as you know, it happens every now and then, dad gets wheeled in. And that's the terrifying moment, you know, where the young person has had mommy nipping at the rear and now dad comes in to settle matters. All of that is important. We've got a, our grandfathers have the biggest sweetie jar in your cupboard and bless your grandchildren to bits. And I say that because more often than not, and I know that is not the case, but more often than not, that is a primary role for you ladies to build the family. Gents, we are there to build the family also. And thereafter, who's your neighbor? Love them as you would desire them to love you. God is calling us both to be doers and to be people who bring transformation. He has said that through his word, which is a double-edged sword. May you intently look into this in the days and weeks ahead. As we as a church look at James, may we be contradicted by what James says and have a good old look at ourselves, but not go away and forget what God has said. For his glory and praise in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.